0: Think that modern life is not for you? Do you do the same dead-end job every day? Is your love life dying on its feet?
1: To a wonderful man.
0: Oh, have you ever felt that you're turning into
1: in the world? A zombie. Maybe you're not alone. Hey there, film buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds Podcast. I'm your host, Paul. This week we have something uh, a little bit outside of the norm. We've kind of done this before. I'm joined by author and writer Clark Collis. He is a very special guest today. He writes for Entertainment Weekly. And his newest book, You've Got Red On You, is all about the making of Shaun of the Dead. Clark, hi.
0: Hi there! Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm not a special guest. I'm just i spe- I'm not a very special guest. I'm just a guest, I think. Just or just a, or just a special guest. The very is unnecessary. But thank you so much for uh, for having me on.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so this is the second time that I've managed to snag us a um, a writer. Um, the the first, of course, writer that we had on with us was uh, Alison Pierce, who's also a professor of. Film and she taught uh, a whole subject on horror films. Uh-huh. Uh, so actually, it's fun. Both of the writing guests that I've brought on have been sort of like horror genre um, mm-hmm. enthusiasts and aficionados. Uh, it's good to have you on. It
0: seems to be something that lends itself to academic study. Uh, oddly, um, yeah, more than and I'm sure you know people can can uh, call me a fool on Twitter and, and point to. Um, you know, so many other genres that that, that are is equally covered. But, you know, I don't really think of an awful lot of academic study necessarily about romantic comedies. Um, yeah. As opposed to horror movies. Then again, horror is something that I'm interested in. So maybe I'm just not, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, that it's, maybe that's just what's leaping out at me. Um, and I, I think it's partly because... Um, you know, horror tends to deal in themes uh, that are worthy of study, um, if not always, you know, text and subtext, you know, going back to, well, you know, all sorts of things. You know, David Cronenberg's Fly is is about AIDS, and, and um, you know, a lot of horror films in the 50s are about, you know, paranoia and reflective of the communist era. And maybe it's also thinking about it that if you really like horror movies, uh, you sort of feel drawn towards um, maybe defending yourself a bit and constructing. Uh, and I'm not saying these, these academic studies are in any way hollow or false. But, you know, if you, if you like something that is maybe one of the more disreputable genres, uh, then you feel obliged to start writing uh, academic papers about it to justify seeing, uh, you know, staying up late watching Chopping Mall or whatever. Not that anybody needs any excuse to, uh, to stay up late and watch Chopping Mall.
1: Um no I think that I think you make a great point you know um when I was in college you know we had a horror class as as an entire uh line of study and it was also a genre that was talked about heavily in the women's and gender studies program uh and it was also discussed heavily by um the only um female professor on staff at the time um one of the things that she was obsessed with was was horror she was working on a paper about evil dead um right at the time, the more recent one. Um, but yeah, I think that you're right also. I think you do have to kind of go in there and, and show that there's value to it. And and horror also draws such a particular crowd. You know, you, sure, you always sure. know a horror fan when you when you meet one and start talking to them.
0: Well, in fact, it's because they're usually wearing like a, uh, uh, they're usually wearing an Evil Dead t-shirt. It's not, oh, I mean, yeah. I, uh-huh. I know what you're saying, that the maybe the the, they do sort of give off a horror, Uh, vibe, but more often than not, they are wearing, you know, uh, a Motel Hell. I was in, I was in, um, staying with friends up in the uh, uh, bucolic, woody um, upstate New York, and uh, I passed some guy when I was out running, and he was wearing a very faded uh, Motel Hell t-shirt, and I I thought, you know, horror fans really do get everywhere. Although, I guess the middle of the woods isn't a bad, isn't that unusual place to, to find a horror movie fan.
1: No, you know, it's where, you know, so many of the great genre films take place. So why not go there? Sure, sure. <laughs> um, so is horror something that you primarily cover in your work over at Entertainment Weekly? Yeah, it's not.
0: It's one of those things that no one ever tol- tells me to cover it. Uh, mostly because they don't have to tell me to cover it. I just do it. I do. I mean, w- we're we'll, everybody at Entertainment Weekly now... Um, sort of works in all areas of the magazine in terms of, you know, we all write for um, the magazine, we all write online, we do video stuff, we do podcasts and radio and so on and so forth. Um, And most of us have a pretty broad brief. I mean, yes, I cover horror, but I also cover, um, uh, (laughs) I I also cover James Bond and I'm chuckling because covering the most, I mean, for for sad global reasons, covering the most recent James Bond movie has proven to be a much lengthier enterprise than I'd imagined that it would be. <laughs> uh, when, I, when I visited the set, what now seems like 17 years ago, um, uh, but yeah, so I cover. I, I write about James Bond. I write about The Crown, uh, the TV show, which which really, despite you know uh, what you might think about the British royal family, is a pretty long way from 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 the horror genre uh, in many ways. And it's just sort of things that um you know sometimes it's things you're really interested in. sometimes you put up your hand uh to cover something and you think it's going to be one interview, and then you know seventeen years later you're still covering Grey's Anatomy or whatever i mean not that I cover Grey's anatomy but 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 that can happen um and it's kind of fun i mean i do I do write a lot about horror, but often it's quite fun to, the, the randomness means that sometimes i'm I'm covering uh you know all sorts of um all sorts of weird stuff that that I wouldn't necessarily think I was suited to uh, and some people might say I wasn't suited to um but wind up being quite fun I was on the set of just because I happened to be in the UK I think at the time I went on the set of the uh of Disney's live action Beauty and the Beast uh movie about I guess that must be about 6 years ago now um something that really is not in my wheelhouse in terms of things that I would rush to see. Uh but then again you're on, you know, whatever, you know, you're on this huge movie set and Dan Stevens, and you know, these amazing, um, you know, this amazing production, and it's being directed by Bill Condon, who actually has a, you know, a sort of a horror background himself to a degree. Um and it's absolutely fascinating, you know. And in some ways the covering you know in some ways covering horror is different from other genres but in some ways it's you know it's quite similar I mean there is the cast and crew you go on a horror film set and it's not like it's always drenched in blood or or you know the cast are leaping out at you with with fake uh, chainsaws it's it's you'd be surprised how how similar it could be but yeah definitely i i um uh, i do uh, i do enjoy um covering horror movies particularly i like the sort of you know, 90 minute, two hour experience. I'm less keen on, I see a lot of horror TV shows. And I mean, there are some great horror TV shows, but sometimes I think, well, this is a horror movie stretched to what appears to be 50 hours. And I don't really have have 50 hours to spare on it. Spare for it, you know.
1: Yeah, and it's hard to really stretch tension over over eight hours of content, you know. It's really hard to keep that pressure building in a way that also makes the story enjoyable to watch and isn't just, you know, constant cheap thrills.
0: Well, yeah, I don't think anything stretched long enough becomes a soap opera to a degree. And, and I yeah. have nothing against soap operas, but that's not necessarily my uh, genre of choice. And I'd much some, rather something at a beginning and a middle and an end, um, and then I could be in a bar bef- before it closes. The, uh, having said which, of course, I mean, the irony of saying that is that um, uh, you know, there's now like 17 Halloweens, so stick them together and you've got like more than a, a season, a TV season's worth of, of Halloween. So, and the same for Friday the 13th and, and so on and so forth. So, but, it, but but having said which, I'm not necessarily somebody, I know every like Friday the 13th people list, you know, their fate, all they, they, they go on Twitter and they, and they put all, all the Friday the 13th movies in order, depending how much they like them and the same for other genres. And I'm not, so I certainly haven't seen all of the Friday the 13th movies. I, I think the interesting thing about horror is that um, uh, it has a very conservative side. People um, like the repetition of it. People like the expectedness uh, of it, mm-hmm. uh, and that's fine. Whereas I, but I think my, the appeal of horror to me is that anything can happen, you know? Uh, and with the best will in the world, by the time you're seeing Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight, you know, you, you're, you're pretty certain about what you're going to get.
1: Yeah, once you hit Jason in space, it's almost—it's almost barely a horror film at that point.
0: Well, you know what? Oddly, I think Jay, I think Jason X, which is Jason in space, is the one I've seen the most. I do have a huge fondness for that, and and that oh, yeah, itself—that sure. in itself would mark me out as an idiot. Uh, uh, by most uh, horror fans uh, so what what can you
1: do no, you know you like what you like <laughs> that's true that's absolutely <laughs> true
0: and, and again as I say, there's nothing wrong with the with some people liking the repetitive nature of horror at all and God knows i you know i've seen i mean i've seen short of the day an awful lot at this point, but i 've seen a lot of uh, i mean i have comfort horror movies I love watching the thing and and a lot of carpenter and and there's nothing wrong with that, but one of the appeals as I said to me, of the horror genre is it really anything can happen. And one of the perennial disappointments is that usually you know exactly what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's really fair, you know. Um, I think maybe because of the cheap nature of horror, people, you know, go, go and try and do that sort of, you know, quick turnaround on the thing. And so you end up just getting a deluge of a whole bunch of stuff that's, that's predictable. That was, you know, made on a on a quick fly kind of a thing, and
0: and it, it no, it's that's also true,
1: yes, yeah, um, and also you know I think that sometimes it can be a little bit hard to find you know those things that that speak to um, sort of universal fears. You know, it's 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 hard to find those things that really punch and hit home beyond uh, just yes. being scary.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's why it helps, uh, uh, and that's why it helps. I think, and this sort of resonates with Shaun of the Dead. Um, it helps to have a, a core thesis to your to your movie, and with Shaun of the Dead, uh, the core thesis, you know, is the core thesis is that um, living in uh, living in a um, living in a you know a, a major city is. You know, you see so many people that are like zombies anyway. Before the before the zombies turn up,
1: um, so was it your um, was it your your coverage of Shaun of the Dead that ended up leading you to your sort of love affair with it? You know, how did how did the book come about?
0: I come I came to Shaun of the Dead through a a, a pretty strange route, um, which has its beginnings with the fact that I grew up in a small town, in a small rural town in England, in the county of Somerset, called Wells, W-E-L-L-S, uh, and it is the town where Edgar Wright, the director and co-writer of Short of the Dead, also grew up. I didn't know him when I was uh, young. He was, you know, I think he's, he's like at least five years younger than me, um, although we did, it turned out, uh, both work at different times at the local tourist attraction, which was called Wookie Hole Caves which is a series of limestone caves. Uh, And I was a tour guide, and Edgar uh, worked in the parking lot, essentially directing traffic. And as he told me once, um, if anybody ever says in a review that Edgar Wright couldn't direct traffic, then they're wrong. So that he can call up the journalist to be like, I think you'll find that my spell doing just that, directing traffic in Wookiee Old Caves in the summer of whenever uh, proves you wrong. Um, so when I was w- in the mid 90s, I was working at a, a movie magazine and Edgar released his first movie. Uh, most people think Shaun of the Dead is his first movie. In fact, his first film was called A Fistful of Fingers. And it was a comedy Western uh, made in Wells for £12,000, about $20,000. And I was working at a movie magazine. And I was like, someone made a comedy Western in Wales. You know, I'll send someone to interview this guy which we then did. And then he was sort of on my radar. Uh, And then he and and Simon Pegg and Jessica Hines and Nick Frost um, made uh, two seasons of a, what turned out to be a cult uh, and fantastic sitcom called Space in the late nineties, which I saw. And then by the time Shaun and the Dead came out, I was living in New York, working for Entertainment Weekly, I think, um, and saw it at the cinema and really liked it. but Then over time, he made as people may well be aware, he made he and Simon and Nick made two more movies Hot Fuzz, which is filmed in Wells, and uh, The World's End. And collectively, these are known as the Three Flavors Cornetto Trilogy because they all feature uh, the British ice cream Cornetto. And I just think, I mean, I, I love Sean, I love all of the movies, but I just think cumulatively, that's one of the best trilogies of all time, really. Um, I think they're. Just wonderful, wonderful comedies. Um, I think they're very funny, the acting's great. Directing, the writing, they're all marvelous. They they tackle, for those people who don't know, they tackle different genres. Shaun of the Dead tackles the uh, zombie genre. Um, uh, Hot Fuzz is a cop movie, essentially. Uh, And The World's End is a a sci-fi alien invasion film. Um, And it's weird to even talk about them as a trilogy because you know they have the same director and the same cast, but they're not the same characters. But they definitely have a similar sensibility, and, and they're linked by in jokes and and I just think what a just what a wonder that this trilogy, which they never planned on making, uh, you know, sort of accidental. I mean, there's nothing accidental about the creation of the individual movies, but cumulatively, this sort of accidental trilogy, you know, just I, I just think it's an absolute. Um, thing of Wonder. Uh, and then, as you sort of alluded to, I did write about, I did do an oral history of Shaun of the Dead a few years ago, and I spoke to uh, Edgar, uh, their producer, Naira Park, who's sort of, uh, in many ways, the fifth Beatle, maybe even the fourth Beatle. And um, Nick Frost and Bill Nye, uh, And so I had, like, the what I thought was the bones. I basically thought I'd done half the work of writing a book, and then um, not long before the pandemic started, I thought, well, I'll start sort of sketching out a book, seeing what that looked like, Uh, and then signed a a deal with 1984 uh, Publishing last summer, and then set to work, um, you know, doing what I thought would be a few sort of top-up interviews, uh, but eventually spoke to about 60 people (laughs) Uh, wow. and ultimately realized that what I what I thought I'd done half the job writing the original article I'd actually done about 5% of the job um, <laughs> and so it became this it became I mean I really enjoyed doing it but did it did be uh a uh, real real mountain to climb partly because I'd said oh yes I can do this in you know in 6 months it's uh, it's half done already and so during the day I would be interviewing you know edgar and the production designer and and uh you know the script supervisor and maybe a couple of the people who played zombies and then getting up at five o'clock in the morning to furiously uh transcribe and you know sort of add it into the book and then and then uh talk to some more people uh while also working for entertainment weekly so i really enjoyed it but um uh, yeah, it was quite a lot of work, uh, I have to say. But I was really glad that... and I, It was partly inspired by Edgar, really. Edgar was very generous in terms of wanting to um, uh, credit his collaborators. And so he was always saying, Oh, you must talk to this person. You talk, must talk to that person. Um, and so I would. And they'd all have... I mean, all of them had fascinating stories. And a lot of them have continued to work with Edgar over the years. And had worked with him before on Spaced. Uh, so yeah, eventually I uh, got it done. I think um, when I started, I planned, it on, planned on it being about 200 pages uh, and it's wound up being 450. So I don't think anyone else is going to be writing a book, whether it's good or bad. I do think this is in a way uh, sort of, I don't think anyone else is going to be writing a short of the Dead book in the near future.
1: No, I, I'm, uh, I just finished chapter two, um, and
0: so you have, I've haven't really, really started been,
1: making this thing yet no yeah and <laughs> i've really been enjoying it i find it oh, fascinating um because right. you can also i think in the journey to Shaun of the dead see some of the the hints and textures and notes of what he's going to do later yeah. and so you know when in the book when um you write about him coming up with the idea of crawl um right. you know, based on bar culture, suddenly I was like, oh, world's end, you know, and he yeah. talks about listening to the song Bell Bottoms, and I was like, Oh, baby driver. And so it's um, I
0: I would certainly not compare this book to an Edgar Wright movie, because I think Edgar Wright movies his movies are about a hundred times better than this book. Um, but it's interesting how writing a book about something, certainly in this case, did sort of in it sort of influence the way I was writing it. Um because in Edgar's films, you know, if somebody mentions, certainly with the Cornella trilogy, if somebody mentions something at the Mm -hmm. start, that's gonna gonna come around again. And it likely will come around like five times in a way that you're not expecting. And so, um, yeah, so there are various characters. I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler, but one of his teenage friends is this guy called Corin Hardy, who um, is another sort of, Edgar was making short films. They were it was were playing at youth festivals, and Corin was making short films. They were playing at youth festivals, and they became friends. Um, and what I don't point out in the book, and, and Cor- what I don't point out in the book is that is that you know 30 years later, Corin would eventually direct The Nun, uh, which is one of the most successful films in the Conjuring fr- in the Conjuring franchise. Um, and so Corin kind of pops up here and there throughout the book and plays one of the zombies. In uh, Shaun of the Dead, but I like that. Uh, mentions for some reason. You know, uh, um, I enjoyed uh, aping the films to uh, to the extent that hopefully, if someone was introduced, then then they would they would come back. Um, and actually, Edgar was uh, it would, the book was finished and. and um, Edgar had a look at it and made a couple of suggestions, not sort of, uh, not in terms of of altering it at all, but he was like, oh, well, you mentioned Tom, Sto- you have this epigram at the start about Tom Stoppard and you mentioned the fact that we, the British playwright, you mentioned about the fact that uh, um, we pitched it to various people as a mix of Dawn of the Dead and, um, Tom Stoppard's uh, *Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead*, which, for those who don't know, is uh, a play about two minor characters from *Hamlet*. But it's like, hey, what if they were the major characters? You know, what's what's *Hamlet* look like from the from the from the point of *Rosencrantz and Guildenstern*? Just as um, with George Romero's zombie movies, they're in America, which for British person is very exciting, and they're in like you know, news studios or they're in a bunker trying to figure out how to fix the zombie virus and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Sean is like, well, what if it was just some guys in a pub in Britain, not like trying to cure the virus or do anything really other than survive the night? And so that was the comparison. Edgar was like, well, you know, I met Tom Stoppard a couple of years ago and then talked about going to some fancy dinner, some sort of BAFTAs thing. And, and finding himself sitting next to Tom Stoppard and saying, and Tom Stoppard not recognizing who Edgar was would be like, what do you do? And he's like, I'm a film director. In fact, I directed Short of the Dead and, and that Tom Stoppard was like, oh, I think, yeah, I know, I know what that is. And Edgar said, well, we actually pitched it, you know, as Rosencrantz and Guildenstern meet, um, meet uh, Dawn of the Dead. So it was a nice, so Edgar himself was like, well, if you mention this at the start, then actually I have a story about, you know, meeting Tom Stoppard or meeting uh the film uh, the film director Mike Lee, who was another sort of uh influence on on the movie so so yeah, Edgar helped with that kind
1: of um you know bringing it all 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 back around again at the end um no that's awesome i i I think it's interesting you know that that he was i love that he was so a part of the process you know um so many filmmakers and film types can oftentimes seem a little bit sort of, you know, secretive, I think, on a certain level, you know? Well, he, he, well, this was what, I think one of the reasons he wanted to write the book was that, um,
0: if, if you watch Shaun of the Dead, it is very easy to think, uh, boy, did those guys have a hell of a time making that movie, you know? I mean, for those who don't know, I mean, Simon, I mean, they're essentially friends making a film to one degree. Simon Pegg and Nick Frost were actually uh, roommates when Edgar and Simon were, were writing the, the script. I mean, I mean, they were all good friends. And so it's easy to be like, oh, well, I guess this was just a bunch of mates making a movie, and how much fun would that be? And in fact, one of the last people I interviewed I, it was Michael Bay, and I wasn't really interviewing him about Shaun of the Dead, but obviously Michael Bay had, uh, not Michael Bay, I apologize, um, uh, Zack Snyder. Uh, for you did step there. Zack Snyder remade Dawn of the Dead. So he, and, and his, you know, new movie was Army of the Dead. So I figured he might have seen Shaun of the Dead at one point. And sometimes, you know, over the last couple of years have I been interviewing somebody that didn't have anything to do with Shaun of the Dead. But, you know, seemed like a, a, it seemed like someone I might want to get in the book. I've asked him, I've asked him about it. And, and, and Zack Snyder was saying, look, you watched that movie. And they're like, boy, those guys had a blast making that film. And people think that, and, and, you know, it's for a lot of, a lot of people did have a lot of fun making that film, but uh, Edgar Wright was not necessarily one of them. And I think, you know, and, and, and Edgar in the book talks about how difficult it was to finance. Nobody wanted to finance this thing. The moment somebody did want to finance it, that company went bust. Like people thought it was a really stupid idea. People hated the title. you know, people didn't, people wanted them to cast the movie differently um, with bigger stars. Uh, And the film and the book and the production itself was very, very, for Edgar particularly, very, very grueling. Edgar is a incredibly, you know, details oriented person um, who was trying to bring, who was trying to film his, uh, film his uh, vision, also working with a crew that at times were just like, who is this guy who looks who is apparently 27 years old, but looks like 12? I mean, Edgar was looked very young at the time, he's still a useful looking guy. And he was having problems with the crew. And then when they finished the film, uh, you know, there was no guarantee it was going to be released in the States at all. And so Edgar had to get pretty uh pretty um, you know, had to sort of carry the, you know, he literally took the film to Austin to show it to uh, the Ain't It Cool News guys in in film cans uh, to try to get some sort of buzz going for the movie. So um, I think Edgar was, uh, I mean, not in any way fed up with, with Shaun of the Dead at all, but I think um, he was fed up with people assuming that they all had like a fantastic time making the movie. Whereas Edgar kind of had a pretty hellish time making the movie and this was his, I think he felt an uh, opportunity to sort of, to correct, uh that that view to some extent
1: yeah put the put the false myth to bed and be like no this was this was a passion project you know it wasn't just some chums having a laugh and
0: no and kicking around with
1: a film camera
0: but you know the interesting thing is that having said all of that that it's books you know i mean because they are they were good friends they are good friends i mean whether they whether they they well i mean they always say they want to work together again um and so there is an element, and, and also the central, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a romantic comedy, but it's, it's, it's debatable whether the, the, the uh, romance is really between Sean and Liz, or whether it's between uh, Sean and Nick Frost's character. Um, because in many ways, the central relationship is between Simon Pegg's character and Nick Frost's character. And that, to a large extent, was based on their own, you know, very brotherly, Uh, Relationship. They really were, you know, uh, uh, best friends and shared famously shared a bed for a while. uh, When they could, you know, when when after Simon Pegg had broken up with his girlfriend, moved in with Nick Frost, and it was cold and they only had one bed and they shared a bed uh, for quite a while. Um, And you know, so in in one from one point of view, it is a group of mates uh, making a movie about. Being mates and being in a you know going to the pub, which they like to do a lot at the time, uh, especially Nick and Simon. But uh, it's also it was also an incredibly hard thing to to
1: pull off. Yeah, uh, you know people who don't really make movies, I I don't think realize how how hard it is even to make uh, you know the simplest of of movies, you know, and how much work you have to do to. To even just get like, you know, eight minutes of film done, you know, if you've got eight minutes, but it's a a zombie film, you now have to come up with eight minutes of zombie prosthetics. Who's going to make that, you know, and now you have to multiply that up into a feature um, where you can't, you know, shut down London forever where they were filming at the time. And it just becomes a, I'm sure it becomes a really grueling thing to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it did. And one of the interesting things was the Edgar, um, Cause it cost, so the film cost four million pounds, which is about $7 million, which was a lot of money to give to somebody for what in effect was their debut movie. And, um, but Edgar knew that all of the sort of classic horror movies, if you look at the history of the Evil Dead or the Peter Jackson, um, the early Peter Jackson movies, they didn't have money, but what they had was time. Like, like they, it took them a long time. I mean, they didn't, they didn't have time, but they, 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 I mean, eventually, they didn't plan on it taking that long. But the first Evil Dead took, like, 12 weeks or whatever. And for those, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, in comparison, people now uh, make films in two weeks. I mean, usually not good films. But, for example, I often think about this. I was on the set of Bone Tomahawk, which was that um, uh, Kurt Russell sort of uh, cannibal Western. Um, And that's a, you know, a a movie with a great cast. And if you look at it, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a good looking like movie with, with lots of stuff going on. And they shot that in four weeks, you know, and you're like, good God, how could they have done that in four weeks? But they did. Um, But Edgar was aware that with, with a movie like this, when you have got a lot of prosthetics, when you're trying to do things that take time, that you need the time. And I think the, the, um, Uh, eventually they shot for about eight weeks on the Shaun of the Dead, which was a really generous, um, period of time for a, for a first time filmmaker. And that's what cost the money. And, and, and I was talking to the producer, Naira Park and, you know, she said they could have easily relatively easily gotten like two and a half million pounds to, to make it, but they, they needed four because they needed eight weeks because Edgar knew that if they tried to, to cut the, uh, to cut it down, there would be catastrophic. And what's interesting is there is one sequence in the film. I mean, it's, 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 it's several sort of little sequences with several montages strung together, but which is called The Plan. And if you know anything about Shaun of the Dead or indeed have been on the internet at all um, for the past couple of years, you'll be familiar with The Plan, which is where um, Simon Pegg's character, Shaun, Nick Frost's character, Ed, cook up. Like, they think about what they're gonna do. They now realize they're in a zombie movie, essentially. What are they gonna do? And they're like, well, we'll go here and we'll go there. We'll pick up Liz, we'll pick up my mom. And, and eventually this all culminates. In, and you're seeing, as, as they're describing it, you are seeing them do it, doing it. And a series of shots, which, which you know, would have taken a considerable amount of time to do. And they eventually uh, land on, well, we'll go to the pub and wait for all of this to blow over, right? And this was called The Plan. And this is not a, a, a long bit in the movie and arguably doesn't really add anything to the movie. I mean, from a plot perspective, other than, I mean, you could have just done it by Simon saying, well, we'll just pick them up and go to the pub. But it's this incredibly um, smart and funny and, and uh, cool way of doing this. But as I said, it doesn't necessarily, from a financier's point of view, it's not really necessarily adding anything to the film, obviously. Um, and Naira, Naira told me that people would say, she was always like, this is the first thing that people wanted to cut out. What is this plan thing? And this is another aspect of, quite often it's it's hard for Edgar to explain to people what it is, like his vision, because in many ways his vision has not been seen before. And this was sort of culminating even by Baby Driver. You know, he's, he, he found it hard to get that off the ground, because. It's not a musical, but it is a film set to music in which everything is, is in the time of the music. And, and to, to see exactly what that's going to be like until you've made the film is hard. Um, but Naira would say, well, people were always trying to get us to cut. You know, we've got to, what is the plan? We've got to lose the plan. And of course, ironically, now, <clears throat> 16, 17 years later, you go on Twitter and it's the plan that's the bit that's, you know, that's the meme essentially, for sure, I mean, no, that's one of several, but certainly, um, you know, during the pandemic, that whole, let's go down to the pub and wait for this to blow over, um, you know, it was all over the internet to the extent that Edgar had to tweet to remind people that this is not a plan that people should follow, <laughs> and that in the film, and, and that in the film, pretty much everybody dies after they try to do this, although at least Sean was trying. And so, you know, um, uh, but yes. So yeah, that was one of the difficulties of, of making it of trying to persuade people that every so often he had to get this specific shot of something which was gonna then form part of a, of a montage that was gonna appear in a completely different part of the film. And in the end, Edgar started just shooting these things himself with the second unit, well, with the second cameraman. Uh, during his lunch breaks so, or before like everybody else turned up for work. Um, which is, you know, added uh, more to his to his workload, which was already pretty pretty substantial. No, yeah. Um... I'm sorry, once you I have to say once you get me started about sh- talking about short of the Dead, it's very hard to get me to stop. I've been I've been, I've been no, no, no. I've been, mean, you know, for large sections of the pandemic, I've been sitting in a room <laughs> writing a book about Shaun of the Dead. So I apologize if I, if I, uh, if I go on and on and on.
1: No, no, no. You're totally fine. This is this is the great kind of stuff that I I was hoping that you would have. You know. Um, so how many how many times at this point have you watched Shaun of the Dead? Do you think?
0: I would have no idea. I mean, I, I would have no idea I, at all. Um, You know, and the truth is, through this process, the answer may be, like, having started this process, the answer may be only once. Like, in terms of, like, from one end to another. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I remember sitting down with my girlfriend. I was like, I think I'm going to write this book. Let's watch Shaun of the Dead. And we watched it. Um, Now, having said which, (laughs) I've watched little bits of it a lot. Like, you know, I have poured over... I have pored over that film. I mean, cumulatively, I've watched that film a lot. Um, But it's usually been to to check some fact or to remind myself of something or to look at dialogue. Um, But I've certainly never gotten sick of it. In fact, I mean, even now, if I wanted to cheer myself up for some reason, I'll put on the sequence, the the Don't Stop Me Now sequence, where um, Sean and Ed and Liz battle publican of the winchester which is the name of the pub where they've gone to, to sort of hole up uh to the sound to the choreographed sound or rather they choreographed to the sound of queen's uh, don't stop me now um and i just think that's a perfect little fabulous uh comedy scene that always kind of cheers me up And there's a little sort of musical number in the middle of the film and we just mentioned baby driver in some ways that's the kind of dry run for baby driver. Although Edgar would have other dry runs as well. Um, I just think that's just just a, just a perfect mix of 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 um, you know music and, and and comedy and action to a degree and choreography. Um, uh, yeah, that's 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 and I just never get tired of that. I never get tired of any of it. I would literally sit down and watch that film there. I, 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 there's just so much. There's so much in that film. I mean, in all of Edgar's films, really. But I think there's so much in that film that you... It's not that you find new things every time you watch it, but inevitably you forget some things over the years. And so, yeah. so you discover you discover it again. Uh, you discover it, but for a second time or a third time. And you're like, oh, I've forgotten about it. I've forgotten that happened. You know
1: yeah and and different jokes hit you at different times and and you know something something can really just you know take you away and just get you in an absolute fiddle after you know yes just depending on the mood that you were in you know from one time to another a joke can really just hit you in the sweet spot um, well and also just... as you
0: no, I was gonna say as you get older as well because mm-hmm. this does i mean i was in london i was living in london i mean they perfectly capture uh, Edgar and Simon, that sort of just living in London around the turn of the century kind of feckless 20s vibe. I mean, I never worked in a electronics store like, like Sean does, but I was certainly sort of like, what am I going to do? And I got to get my life together. And I still, I mean, like, to a degree, still think that. But that sort of walking to the shop on a Sunday morning and getting the paper and you're hungover, and uh, you know walking back. I mean, I've certainly been in a in a bad enough state on a Sunday morning when I really wouldn't have noticed the apocalypse that happened, which which is sort of one of the big jokes of the early uh, the early part of the movie. Um, and I think you know if I'd seen that when I was still living in London in 2004, when the film came out, if I'd still been living in London, I think. Maybe I would have found it a bit depressing, you know. I mean, not. I don't mean the film is depressing, but the accuracy of that portrayal, uh, with regards to how close it was to my life. But of course, now I kind of look back on it. I, you know, it seems like a time capsule or something that I look back on quite fondly. Really, a sort of more ne'er do wellish, uh, you know, early early stage of my life, I guess. Uh,
1: sort of, uh, you know. Uh you know, sort of mischievous youth kind of a thing.
0: Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. very much. Oh, well, they think they're being mis- mischievous just as I thought I was being mischievous, but in fact, we mm-hmm. were just sort of doing nothing, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or nothing useful.
1: Well, and, um, you know, I think that it it captures a lot of things very earnestly and very honestly, And and from reading the book, that's definitely because so much of it is so grounded in in their personal lives and in who they were and, and in, in elements of what formed them up to that point in their life. Sure. And so it really makes it a very emotionally rooted story. And I think that that's one of the other reasons that it it stood out from other you know genre films at the time. Two years later, after this, Slither came out and Slither was like a, a bit of a bomb. And I love Slither right. and I think Slither's a blast, but Slither doesn't quite have that same... Ultra rooted emotional core that, that this one has. Sure.
0: Now, and interestingly, because um, that's a James Gunn movie, uh, and I think in a strange way, you look at Suicide Squad, which I also really enjoyed, and it's almost like that's more personal to James Gunn than Slither in a, in a strange way, as, as, as was the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. It, it's weird how I, th- I mean, I'm a huge fan of James Gunn, um, but I, it's almost like the more money they give him, the more. Um, the more personal a movie he is able to make. I was unaware that the James uh, Gunn had a, well, I I knew James Gunn had this dog that he had like for 16 years and passed away uh, during the filming of Suicide Squad. Um, But in Suicide Squad, they, 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 uh, the suicide, no, suicide. I get confused now as to which one it is. Anyway, the Suicide Squad, (laughs) the Suicide Squad, this is the one I'm talking about. But I guess they smoke, uh, I only saw this on Instagram the other day, but they have cigars. They smoke cigars in Suicide Squad, as some of the characters do. And the cigars are like branded uh, with photographs of his dog, um, which you can't really see in the movie, but he was showing pictures on Instagram. Um, And that's not really what we're talking about. That's not quite the same as the fact that Short of the Dead comes out of the lives that its creators were living. And I was just like, wow. Like, he made the decision to, you know, because they had, they had he, he was showing pictures of not only the cigars, but the packaging and also the billboards for the cigars that are featured in the film at some point, apparently. And so you're actually talking about, once you're talking about a film on that scale, it's like tens of thousands of dollars, right? Yeah. And I, guess some, <laughs> I guess something, now arguably something has to be on these cigars and it doesn't really matter what it is. But I was just like, how cool to pay tribute to your dog, he you know, may, no longer, may not be with you for much longer by having like, you know, cigars with his face on it. I just thought that was really quite touching. But the, yeah, the thing about Shaun of the Dead is much like space. It is, it is impossible to overemphasize how much, how much uh, the stuff in the movie was inspired by real life. I mean, the Winchester pub where, where the second half of the film is set was directly inspired by this pub called The Shepherds that uh, was down the road from uh, where Simon and Nick lived with Michael Smiley. Michael Smiley is a British comedian and actor who played Tyres, uh, the, the sort of uh, club, dance club, dance club crazy cyclist courier, by, cycle courier in uh, space. And, and actually appears in Shaun of the Dead very briefly as a zombified version of Tyres. Um, so the three of them lived in this house in North London, and uh, their local pub was called the Shepherds. And as Simon said, you know, the, it wasn't that they were regulars there. They, he and Nick pretty much lived there, and um, would would sort of take part in the in the the pub quiz. And and uh, Edgar was always, you know, while they were writing um, Shaun of the Dead, Edgar was always like, come to, come into come into like you know, fashionable Soho. We'll go for, a. am a member of the Groucho Club. It's a well-known private member's bar in Soho. Yeah, we'll go out for dinner there or whatever. And Simon and Nick were like, no, we're going to stay in the Shepherds, Uh, which even they were, we're going to stay in the Shepherds and we won't visit you and your home, even though you live a couple of miles away. We won't come into town. We're just going to stay there. And uh, it was funny because Edgar, Simon and Nick really do talk about it as this wonderful place. And then I interviewed Edgar and Edgar was like, it was just nothing special. It was just that it was round, it was just that it was round the corner from where they lived, you know? And in fact, I, I, uh, one of the people I interviewed was uh, Marcus Rowland, who's the production designer of the film and whose kind of, you know, job was was to create the Winchester uh, at Ealing Studios. And he was telling me that he went to Simon and Nick's local pub. And he was like, it was just really boring. You couldn't like, ba- you couldn't put that on screen. It was like, I had to invent the pub myself because the pub that it was based on, there was just nothing special about it. Uh, but it was, you know, it was in that pub where uh, Simon and Nick would sort of talk about if there was a, I mean, they were both horror fans. And they would say, if there's a zombie in, if there's a zombie outbreak, what are we going to do? And, you know, they'd have elaborate plans about going from their house to the local I mean, there aren't many gun shops in, in, in England at all. Um, but there was one there what happened to be one down the road from them, and they would go over the roofs and they would somehow get into the gun shop, and they always fantasize that the basement of the gun shop there'd be like special guns, and then they would they would grab these special guns and then go to the pub. And uh, you know. A hole up there, and as you know, Simon was telling me this, and he was like, and that became the plot of the film. You know, that's that's th- this fantasy that they had in the pub about you know, uh, boarding about you know, surviving a zombie apocalypse in the pub was then turned into uh, you know, a film that then became this sort of global phenomenon. It really is quite remarkable, and there are bits throughout the whole film that you know are inspired by the way they were living or things that Edgar did or the relationships they'd had and, and, and so on and so forth. It's, no, I mean, it's... it's a zombie film, but it's incredibly autobiographical. It's quite, it's quite fascinating. And it's, it's, it's a zombie film that's both autobiographical and incredibly original in, in, in what it is, you know, while still, you know, there's in-jokes all over the place referring to George Romero's zombie movies, and Lucio Fulci, and, all sorts. So it's it's just it's funny. The more I talk about it, the more I think I just it's just it's almost a, it's it's such a remarkable film uh, in so many ways.
1: It is, um, and you know, you were talking about it being a remarkable trilogy, and I definitely think that it's it is because on top of them just being you know technical, you know, masterful films. Um, It is because all of them do have that great grounded core, that great grounded heart. Um, And, and I think that it always pours through in in each of the films, you know, growing up, I had a a friend who was, um, who started, you know, living with with me and my family when we were in, in school together. And he's now, you know, essentially my brother, he's, you know, a part of the family. And so those parts of those stories always really hit home for he and I, you know, especially cause they were coming out when we were teenagers and like going through all of that. And so it's, I think that that always really grounds it. And I think that that's what makes just the whole, um, Cornetto trilogy or the blood and ice cream trilogy. Um, so special, you know, it is that, is that element to it? Yeah. And it's,
0: and it's become a phenomenon all around the world, you know, which yeah. is, which is, uh, I mean, it's it's interesting because I, I, I do think Americans particularly, uh, there are things that are so British that that Americans just don't want to have anything to do with it. They just cannot comprehend what's going on. Um, I guess cricket would be number one on that list. But then there are things that are so British, but in a way that 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 just makes, um, you know, whether it's Downton Abbey or Short of the Dead, that just really... Takes the fancy of so many Americans. I went to see um, a screening in, I think it was in Philadelphia, of when The World's End came out, that they played The World's End. And I think maybe Hot Fuzz in Philadelphia. And I just went down because I was in New York at the time and it seemed like a fun time. And Simon and Edgar and uh, uh, Nick were, were doing a screening. And I was talking to some people uh, in line. To, to go to see the movies. And and there was this couple whose house had burned down the day before. Like the day before, their house had burned down, but they had tickets to see like The World's End and Hot Fuzz. And so they were in line. And it's funny, though, and I, I remember mentioning this to Simon um, a couple of days later. And not unkindly, he did say, well, what do you expect them to do? Sit around in the rubble of their house. <laughs> <laughs> Which... Which is a good point, but you'd kind of think that maybe they had things to do, you know, uh, to sort their life out rather than uh, going to see a couple of films in the Cornetto trilogy. But it just delights me. And I know that that, that Edgar and Simon and Nick, I mean, every time uh, they would release one of the Cornetto movies, they would go on these huge promotional tours um, and they would do a month in America. Just touring around as if they were uh, like a like a like a rock band essentially, and I know how delighted Edgar and Simon were that they'd sort of turn up in Detroit, and there would be a full screening for some movie yeah you know, for their movie, which was all you know shot in the exteriors shot in like Crouch End in different parts of North London, and reflected their lives in in living in north London, and yet people in america were were just delighted by it you know. Um, uh, yeah, and it's it's no, I, and it kind of warms my heart really to think of all these people all around the world just really digging, you know, Shaun of the Dead and, and the other movies.
1: Uh, are you thinking about doing your own sort of Cornetto trilogy and doing the the written history of Hot Fuzz and and World's End as well?
0: Well, let's. I mean, you know, I mean, the thought had occurred to me, but one, let's see if if if. Uh, I mean, people have said some nice things. And people who have read the book uh, seem to be enjoying it. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the film is a big success. Those films over time particularly have become big successes. I don't know if people necessarily want to read uh, uh, a book about each of the movies. I hope they do. Um, say that that I kind of cover. I mean, there there is a sort of final chapter where... I you know I sort of described what the principals have done over the past uh, fifteen years, which kind of covers um, Hot Fuzz and, and The World's End to some degree. Um, partly because I was going to end it with uh, the death of George Romero, um, who was such a huge influence on on this film, and then asked uh, uh, Simon and Edgar to cameo as zombies in, in Land of the Dead. Uh, and uh, you know, Edgar and Simon and, and George Romero became friends over the years. And Edgar spoke at George Romero's um after George Romero died, they had a ceremony to give him his, his uh star on the Walk of Fame in Hollywood. And Edgar spoke at that ceremony, and it just seemed and it, w- it was Edgar talking while like I think three zombies are in front of him, sort of uh just just <laughs> just just sort of standing there just sort of shambling from side to side. And it seemed like a lovely final moment. Um, uh, because there's much talk in the book about fast zombies and slow zombies and how Edgar and Simon particularly uh, will have no truck with fast zombies. Um, so it seemed like a sort of a, a nice final. And the book starts with, with, with Simon and Edgar waiting to see what, what George thinks about Shaun of the Dead. They set up the special screening for George and, you eventually discover that George loves it, but so it seemed like a nice ending. Um, and then, while I was writing the book, the pandemic happened, and as I said earlier, there were all, suddenly, particularly in the UK, there were all these, you know, Shaun of the Dead, this 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 uh, you know zombie virus film suddenly seemed to be part of the cult again. And so I wanted to uh, you know bring it right up to date. Uh, and that 's why I thought well okay well let 's talk about hot fuzz and uh, uh and and the world 's end et cetera I mean hot fuzz would be a great one to do just because um the, as i said there would be I, I it would be a nice excuse to go back to where I grew up uh, but i, I don 't want to get ahead of myself, and I think um uh maybe Edgar's had a i think Edgar give the break from me uh over the next two years so uh we'll see i i have ideas for a for a different a book that that, that uh a completely different um a film a film unconnected with um, edgar and simon and Nick, okay which i which i'm not going to name
1: <laughs> no for sure for sure you know you don't want to you don't want to you know hatch anything before it's it's ready you know no um so, any, any last thoughts that you would like to, to, I guess, share with the listeners on Shaun of the Dead, you know, maybe for those who haven't seen it yet or, or for those who have, anything?
0: Wow. Um, wow. That's interesting. I don't know how I would prepare someone to watch it. I mean, it's a film definitely that, as we were talking about it before, rewards um, repeated watching. But, you know, there's that thing nowadays where people will say, you've got to see this TV show. It gets great by episode eight. And you're like, well, I'm not sure I have the time to watch seven hours of not great TV. And I don't, and I don't mean that, uh, it's just, it, it does it isn't really helpful to say someone, to someone, well, if you don't like Shaun of the Dead, the first time you watch it, you'll love it by the time, like the 17th time you watch it. I mean, that's not a very practical uh, scenario. And the truth is, I think most people would enjoy uh, watching Shaun of the Dead, um, although it's interesting because it is a horror movie. Like if you don't like horror movies, then it is a horror movie, and and it's deliberately a horror movie. I mean, Simon always says that it's not a parody of horror movies; it's a parody of rom coms, and it's a serious horror movie, and it is. And there is a, you know, there are moments towards the end that are as scary and as gruesome. Um, as you'll find in any horror movie, I think. Uh, but having said which, a, I think there's a lot for the... I mean, it's not like watching, you know, some absolutely grim, you know, relentless um, horror film. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you, people should check it out. I think, it, I, will say it's a, I, I will say it's a film, I think it becomes apparent whether you're going to vibe with it or not pretty early on. Um,
1: yeah
0: but uh I just love it I just love it i love I love them all absolutely to bits. and I did think there would there would come a point where I'd grow tired of watching it and that's just that's just not the case as I said earlier on i'd uh i'd uh, I'd happily watch it right now
1: no yeah uh, yesterday, my wife and I watched it, and then we sat down and we watched it with the uh the commentary one of the commentary tracks right oh, yeah. after uh and it's just it was a great movie and it was a great commentary track it's a it's a great experience. Um, You know, it's a lot of, especially as you read the book and that kind of thing, it's a lot of very hard work that had incredible payoff. Um, So no, I think that that's fair. It is something that definitely rewards repeated viewership. You know, it's so detail rich. Uh, I was, when I was watching it this last time, I I realized that when um, Liz and Sean are sitting on the couch at the end, they've got this little display behind them that has pictures of, uh, Barbara, Philip and, um, Diane, but David is not photographed. And so, you know, I really enjoy, right. right, right. It's a very detail rich, um, movie. You know, there's, there's a lot of visual, a lot of visual detail to it. Um,
0: I will say just as a little one, one thing
1: I absolutely didn't know,
0: um, before investigating this, before writing the book, is a lot of the casting choices, a lot of the people that could have been in the movie, I was unaware of. Um, Particularly, uh, as you say, David, the character of David, who um, uh, uh, Dylan Moran plays quite brilliantly. Um, There was a lot of, it was one of those, it was, there was this, I think there's th- at least three roles in the film that are named after the people that they thought they would, who would play them. So Pete, who is the roommate of uh, Simon, of uh, Sean, is called Pete because they wanted Pete Serafanovic, Serafanovic, to play him. And Pete, Peter Serafanovic does play him. But uh, David was written for um, David Walliams, who is now, who would later on become quite, quite famous as one half of Little Britain with uh, Matt Lucas, hugely popular British uh, comedy show. And in fact, couldn't uh, play David in Shaun of the Dead because he was filming the first season of Little Britain. So they had to audition other people. Um, and there's quite a few people that they thought about. But one thing, <laughs> One thing that made me laugh is that there is a British actor called Sean Harris, who is now most famous for being the villain, the utterly terrifying villain in not one, but two, I think, Mission Impossible movies. Mm -hmm. And he he is, if you, people listening to this, Google Sean Harris, they'll they'll know who I'm talking about. Um, I guess to a certain extent, he's one of those guys you know, quote, unquote, those guys, you know, character actors, but he's always playing these utterly terrifying people. And he's a very, very uh, intense actor. And I remember Edgar saying, yeah, we auditioned Sean Harris, who was great, <laughs> but he was completely terrifying. So we just, which was not what we had in mind for the role uh, at all. So, and in the end, in the end they cast uh, Dylan Moran, who, who and it all worked out well.
1: No, yeah. I mean, the cast is just, uh, stupendous. Sean Harris would have been quite the interesting casting yes. choice. Yes, yes, he would yes, have yes. been a very different energy. <laughs> um, no, I think that that's, um, great. So what are, what are some other projects that you're working on now? What are, where are some places that people can read more of your work? You know, that kind of thing. Well, they can read it
0: pretty regularly on, uh, EW.com. Uh, we were talking about the suicide squad, um, earlier on, and I wrote a big uh, feature about that, uh, about a couple of months ago, which was a lot of fun. I did a cover story for Entertainment Weekly a couple of months ago on Ted Lasso. So I visited the Ted Lasso set in West London, which was uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, I, th- I mean, as usual, I'm talking to a lot of horror people. Um, uh, usually around Halloween, or sort of six months leading up to Halloween, I'll start asking, sort of horror notables uh, what they think the scariest movie of all time is. Um, but I've sort of, I've done that for a few years, but I've now sort of asked a lot of people that. Uh, so instead this year I decided to ask them what the first movie that scared the shit out of them was, um, exactly in that way. And I have to say, the thing about asking people their favorite horror movie, scariest horror movie, is there's a lot of ums and ahs, and, and quite reasonably, you know, and, and people aren't really sure what answer to give. But if you ask them what the first movie that scared the shit out of them was, they've got an answer right there. Every one of them has like a creation tale. And whether it's Bruce Campbell or M. Night Shyamalan or Jamie Lee Curtis, they're all like, oh yeah, no, I remember. And that's been quite, that's been quite fascinating. I think The Exorcist tends to, is maybe, you know, in terms, if there was a poll, would be the one that most terrified uh, people. M. Night Shyamalan told me that he slept in his parents' bed for like a week uh, after seeing it. And what's also, uh, it's also, they usually see these things like accidentally. or well, not accidentally, but it's like, no, I went round to some elderly relative's house and they like went to sleep and suddenly I'm watching Poltergeist at the age of six. And, uh, and then there's, what's interesting with, these, with, with a lot of these people, the same story, they accidentally see like Poltergeist or The Exorcist or whatever. And then they cannot see a horror movie for 10 years. They're like so traumatized. Or even, I can't think who it was, but someone was talking about the fly terrorizing them, the Cronenberg version, and how they couldn't even see anything. Not only couldn't they see a horror movie, they couldn't see a movie with Jeff Goldblum, like for like 10 years. And then eventually they sort of circle around and start digging into this thing, which is is a, a kid. It, it, it's remarkable how similar a lot of these stories are except for Jamie Lee Curtis who just flat out hates horror movies I mean in terms of I, not the ones she's I mean she she, does, she doesn't like hate horror movies in the way that people you know it, it, she's just she's just she said she's she scares too easily she can't watch them at all she was talking about watching the Mayor of East uh under a pillow uh, and that's not I mean I, I really like Mayor of Easttown it's not
1: that scary show mm-hmm. okay um no that's all great um i like that question i'm not i'm not sure what i would say my favorite horror film is the first movie that definitely gave you know me like a fright as a kid was probably jaws right um right. i saw that at, like a friend across the street's house and had nightmares after after jaws so
0: well, also, that's a I good one. especially in America, that's just that's just on cable all the time, like like wallpaper. I think people... <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. It's like it's yeah. like they stretch it out to four hours with ads for gardening implements in between, and forget the possibility that some kid is going to be there, and it's, and it's like two thirty in the afternoon, and they suddenly face the jaws, which is uh, you know quite a movie. I remember going to see. I don't really have a. I went to see. My dad, for some reason, took me to see The Island of Dr. Moreau, the Michael York version. This must have been when I was like eight or nine years old uh, in Somerset, where I grew up. And I've never revisited this film because I suspect it's not very good, but, but there were moments in it that really terrified me. And I remember there was some scene, I mean, possibly I'm misremembering it, where Michael York is poking around the doctor's laboratory and there's some like body under a sheet and the body's breathing. And it's like Michael York's getting closer and closer. And I remember saying to my dad, like, I gotta go. I'm too, this is scaring the hell out of me. Like, I gotta go, I can't bear to see this. And he said, well, that's fine. But if we leave, we're leaving. Like we're leaving the building and we're going home. We're not like hanging around in the foyer for this scary moment to be over. So if you want to go, that's, we can go, but that'll be the end of it. And, uh uh, so I stayed because I, you know, because my my interest in what was going to happen next outweighed my sort of fear of what was going to happen next. And I often think, like, you know, if I'd left, maybe I'd be, uh, I could be prime minister at this point, or a, like a, you know, like a, a successful barrister or lawyer or something else. Um, but I'm I'm pretty happy with the way with the way things turned out. In the end.
1: No, yeah, I mean, you know, you you get to cover something that you you find fascinating and meet people that that, you know, make some, some great stuff. So it, it's, it definitely could have turned out worse.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've got a great job. I got no yeah. job. Uh.
1: One, one last question. If you had to, if you had to give Shaun of the Dead one, one thing that every time you you see it, you go, that's eh, not for me. Is there, is there anything in there? Is there one thing?
0: You know, there is, I will say there's Yeah. There's one joke. There's one joke. I don't, there's one joke I actually don't like. Uh, and I, I don't really understand it. And it's possible I just don't understand it. I, I don't really like it. Well, I don't wanna say what it is, not because I'm worried about offending anybody, but I'm worried that someone somewhere, that's when they watch it, that's the thing that will trip them up. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing that'll be like, oh, yeah. Um, or maybe they'll, they'll think I'm an idiot. That's a hilarious joke. But I think it's it's close to being a perfect film. I have to say, um, okay. for my money, uh, it's a great-looking movie. I, I mean, every time I watch it, I think it's just a better movie. I mean, I remember it very fondly. But I'm always amazed at quite how good it is. There, there's, oh, yeah. there's almost no, uh, you know, there's almost nothing to complain about it at all.
1: No, yeah, and maybe got, um... I
0: just misunderstand that one joke. I have to say
1: um no yeah absolutely you know humor is partly you know uh a cultural understanding as well you know for a joke to pay off you have to understand you know where that joke is coming from so um no i think it's definitely a near perfect film i I definitely would give it like a four and a half uh, out of five um well thank you um so much for coming on i don't want to take up too much more of, of your time you've already been very generous coming on this has been. A, I have to say, this has been
0: an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, having me on. And if you, people are interested, they can uh, pre-order the book. Yes. Uh, now, uh, and it's it's going to be published October nineteenth.
1: Yes, the book comes out October. I've got some promotional uh, stuff that he sent over. I'm going to post it on the on the website along with the uh, the episode as well. Um, and okay. I'll, I'll I'll put a, a link to like a pre-order page as well somewhere. So. Um, yeah thank you honestly so much um you're welcome to to come back on anytime that you want to talk about something fantastic well we'll do yeah. one of the
0: others next time
1: yeah we'll sounds do great the hot
0: fuzz, or i can tell you we'll do hot fuzz and i can keep on going oh that's the we'll do a commentary track just of me being like that's where i used to buy my uh that's where i used to buy the sunday papers well that was yeah, my perfect. local supermarket there
1: you go sort of like a mystery science 3000 yes. kind of thing <laughs> Absolutely no um honestly that sounds great thank you so much again honestly thank you pleasure was all mine hey buds paul again that was clark collis talking with me about Shaun of the dead and his book you've got red on you Shaun of the dead for those who don't know is the 2004 film written and directed by edgar wright uh co-written by simon pegg Starring Simon Pegg, Kate Ashfield, Nick Frost, Lucy Davis, Dylan Moran, Peter Serafinowicz, Rafe Spall, Bill Nye, and Penelope Wilton. Um, It's, you know, something of a cult classic. Uh, It's got a pretty straightforward plot. A Man's Uneventful Life is disrupted by the zombie apocalypse. And it's available for rent, uh, you know, pretty much everywhere. Um, It's a great little special film um, and I, I really urge everyone to watch it and I really can't thank Clark again for for coming on. Uh, next week we're going to have kind of like the movies for you with Candyman and Adjustment Bureau um, just as sort of a, a parallel to the recent releases uh, reminisce reminiscing and um, candyman as well so thanks again for tuning in um we look forward to having you back of course as well next week uh and i also plan on talking next week in greater detail about the new spider-man trailer which just dropped and all of the news that has come out of CinemaCon and maybe even a little bit of GamesCon. um so be sure to check out next week thanks again for tuning in this week thanks again to clark who knows maybe one day i'll do a round table with clark and and allison and and someone else as well. Uh, But thanks again for listening, folks. Have a good one. Bye.